is a podcast from 2MBS Fine Music Sydney. Hello, I'm Simon Moore. Welcome to In Conversation on 2MBS Fine Music Sydney and around Australia on the Community Radio Network. My guest today is an actress who's been a core part of the Australian theatre, film and television industry for nearly 50 years. Her credits are so numerous it takes a while even to just scroll through them. Her stage work covers seminal pieces of theatre from Blythe Spirit to The Removalists. And on television, I think she's appeared in any show of the last 50 years worth mentioning, whether it was The Sullivans, A Country Practice, Home and Away. Oh, and then there's that famous stint as the second coming of Pat the Rat in Sons and Daughters. Or should I say infamous? Her name is Belinda Giblin, and fresh from being in Suddenly Last Summer at the Ensemble Theatre, she's preparing now for her next stage appearance in The Weekend, a new adaptation of Charlotte Wood's best-selling novel opening at Belvoir on August 5. And I'm glad Belinda has taken some time out of rehearsals to come and be in conversation with me today. Belinda Giblin, welcome to 2MBS Fine Music Sydney. Good morning, Simon. Well, now, I hope you've got a suitable leave pass to be late to rehearsals today. Well, well, we're working incredibly hard, I have to say. And this is a new work, which is... uh, And we have quite a large rehearsal period for any new work, and we have to workshop it. And the, the glory is that we've had the writer of the novel, Charlotte Wood, in the room for the first week and a half, and the adapter of the novel into the play, Sue Smith, also in the room. So that's been a fabulous help because, you know, we reshuffle stuff that works and what doesn't work and it's been you know immense fun so far it's a, a bit of a roller coaster the rehearsal period you know one day you go home and go I feel fabulous and next day you go and go I, why am I acting I should never have become an actor I'm hopeless I'm <laughs> it's a bad idea from the start <laughs> they'll find me out <laughs> but it, it must mm. be challenging though I mean it's great to have the both the, the original author and the adapter there because I mean obviously when you're taking a novel I mean a novel's got so much in it compared yes. to a two hours of theatre well Sue Smith I have got to say, has written a fantastic play from the novel. We've all, all of us in the cast have read the novel uh, and I was delighted to see that everything is in there, nearly everything. <laughs> we have one, there are three um, actresses playing the three friends and it, uh, the story, of course, is about three women who go to clear out the beach house of one of their friendship group who has died Mm. and during the time that they're there over that weekend cleaning up the house they bring up old memories they look again at their friendship and wonder what it was that ever held them together and then discover new things and how good a friend are they to each other and what's next Mm. for them what's next um and yes so it's it's a really beautiful piece, and there is one actor, Romandello, who is playing all the male <laughs> actors, all the blokes, all, all, all the blokes, <laughs> and a dog, oh, an actual dog, and no, no, he... no, a puppeteer with a, a dog. Oh. But I have to say, in rehearsal, that dog is so real. At the moment, uh, we're using a, a kind of mashup of bits of paper to mm. be there, but it's so real to us. And the dog is hugely important in the play. It's a very old dog, but it's a, a pivotal focus of the play. So that's us. The rehearsal period is quite challenging. Mm. There's a lot of business. There's a lot of things happening, but it's it's really beautiful and great, great fun. Were you familiar with the book already? Yes, I had read the book, and when I was asked, I was asked to do the play middle of last year, before I'd even done Suddenly Last Summer, and so I, I went, oh, I've read this book. I love this book. I think my book club did it. Uh, so I thought, oh. What a gift. What a gift. And I'm playing the part of an actress who hasn't worked for two years. So I'm really playing myself. <laughs> although although <laughs> sort of. you have worked in the I, last I two have, because I've you've had come a, straight from suddenly last summer. Yeah, I, it's interesting, isn't it, that I've – the last decade or at least the last, I think, seven years, I have been constantly in work and I think I've sort of – uh, you know, in my dotage, <laughs> I'm suddenly – or the twilight years of my life, I'm suddenly – doing the parts I've always wanted to play. I mean, they're challenging and meaty and, um, I mean, I, I played sexy roles and I played femme fatales and I played uh, sons and daughters, incredibly bad women. It was all fun, but now I'm playing roles that are really 
challenging and meaty and I feel a little bit sort of validated Yeah, now. It's interesting you mentioned the different rehearsal styles because given that this is a new Australian play, mm-hmm. you've got longer, which is great. So how long in comparison to, say, doing an established work like Suddenly Last Summer? Uh, well, we, we had three weeks at the ensemble. Three weeks. Three weeks for Suddenly Last Summer. But... Because it it is, I mean, Tennessee Williams and it's a lot of words, a lot of (laughs) very, very beautiful, delicious words. Uh, That is a play and I occasionally do this. I learn the words, I learn the script ahead of rehearsal Mm. um, so that it's much more in my body by the time I get to rehearsal. So you don't need to carry around the scripts? Well, I I, I kind of do, but it's 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 got to be embedded. Um, And so I, I would have probably worked on that play for a couple of months before I went into rehearsal. Mm. But this, of course, because it's an ever-changing process, there's no point in learning ahead of time. Right. So it changes that much? Changes, yes, yes, quite, um, oh, yes. Wow. For the better. Yeah. You know, but... um, But it's nice that you, you, as the actors, get a chance to have your input into that and uh, and what that's kind of doing to that play for when someone else performs it in... Years to come. Yeah, yeah. We're not changing the words, but right. but we are off. We are making offers all the time, which is wonderful for an actor to to make offers. And how about you know this? But it, we're not saying how about I say this instead of no, this. You're or not I would never. I, I would never do that for to Sue Smith for a start. <laughs> no. She is a very great writer. Well, we have to have our first piece of music now, and uh, well, this this is a soppy one, if I can so, put it that way. All the pieces I've chosen are soppy. Oh yeah, I love them. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a terrible romantic. And and music for me is nostalgia. It it reminds me, evokes a, a time in my life. And this Danny boy, well, uh, I grew up in Tamworth, a centre of country and western music or country <laughs> music. It wasn't in my day. There was a conservatorium of music in Tamworth and um, it was all classical music. And I grew up on a very solid diet of classical music. My father played opera and you know, Beethoven, Chopin. I played piano, played Chopin, preludes and nocturnes and all that sort of thing. But my father was a doctor, but he sang. And everyone in Tamworth knew my father. And uh, he delivered most of the babies in Tamworth. Um, but he used to sing in the G&S shows, and Arts Council shows, and he sang Danny Boy, and that was the one in his hip pocket. At any event, he would bring it out and sing it, and we would all sob. And the reason I also like it is my son, who is now 36 and who went to Yale and joined an a cappella group uh, in Yale, he has a beautiful voice, I went there for his graduation and he had chosen the group to sing Danny Boy a cappella. So I've chosen the Irish tenors and I'll probably sob. Oh, Danny Boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling from glen to glen and down the mountainside. The summer's gone and all the flowers are dying. Tis you, tis you must go and die, must die. Certainly lots of sobbing in that. The Irish tennis with Danny Boy. Uh, the first choice of my guest in conversation today, the actress Belinda Giblin. She is currently rehearsing for a new play at the Belvoir Theatre based on Charlotte Wood's best-selling novel, The Weekend. 
Linda, take me back to Tamworth in those days. You, you spoke so eloquently about your father and, and the GNS and so on. Is that what gave you the performing bug? Well, I grew up in a family that w- were devoted to the arts. I mean, my, as I say, my father was an obstetrician in town, mm. so he was busy, but he was absolutely involved in the arts scene there. The Arts Council used to come through Tamworth. A lot of the tours used to come through Shakespeare in Jeans, the Elizabethan Theatre. Oh, so you get to see quite a lot of stuff. Oh, I spent an entire childhood going to see theatre and opera and, uh, and as I say, there was a conservatorium of music there. So, But I grew up on a very steady diet of classical music and opera. My father used to actually make us sit on the couch with the scores of like, a, oh, for example, a Beethoven symphony and or something. Along. And we would actually sit. Well, we didn't have television. No, I, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't have television. So we actually used to sit, believe it or not, actually sit and listen to the radio or listen yes. to records. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and so he made us follow the And score pay attention to it. And pay attention. Mm. Oh, well, he wasn't. He didn't stand over us like that. No, but, but, we, no, but, no, but you would pay attention to But we to did the, it with You pay great attention to the media. Love. Say, yeah. And I can't imagine making my own children <laughs> do that. But we, we did it and we loved it. Yeah. So, uh, and then, of course, GNS, Gilbert and Sullivan was the thing and the the Arts Council used to put on all the GNS performances and my father sang the lead in all the GNS through uh, Peter Cousins uh, grew up in Tamworth, Philip Quast. Yes, yes. And my father used to sing with his mother. Really? So it's all big happy families in Tamworth. Six degrees of separation or one degree of separation maybe. (laughs) And I know every Gilbert Sullivan lyric ever (laughs) written for every song. So how do you start the, the road to the profession? I think it's I think it's maybe genetic. I don't know. I just because I was surrounded by it. Mum yeah. was an actor. Mm. She acted in theatre there and directed plays and was acting in them the entire time I I grew up there. Mm. I grew up there till I left school and then came down to Sydney University when I was I think seventeen. But was that to pursue a performing career? Yes. Well, no. I I was going to go to university first because everyone did had something. Solid to fall back them. on, quite hilarious right. to fall back on. <laughs> I had no intention of falling back on that, and then I went to NIDA after that. So I was surrounded by it, and I did ballet until I was seventeen. I then I studied piano, and I was directing plays at school, and it was all very much. It was very much part of your. Blood it was very from, much part yeah. of my life, and mm. and I was encouraged and it was it, it was encouraged and my I remember my mother sitting with me going through Shakespeare monologues for the Estedfords and <laughs> things like that so you know it was a family affair to a large extent I have two older brothers and a younger sister but we were all really involved in the art scene mm. in the town so tell me about NIDA in those early days because uh, that's that's oh. very early on in, in the life of NIDA isn't it uh, well, I'm not that old, Simon, <laughs> <laughs> but I was back at the old toad up, up at yes. the up at the you know the old theatre. I'd been to university for three years by that stage, and I'd uh, I was a little bit over institutions by then. So I, when I got to NIDA, I, I was a little bit restless uh, for that first year that I was there, and as it turned out, the only year that I was there, because um, I remember John Clark saying to me, I think the school of trial and error is the way for you to go. I mean, he he recognised my restlessness, and I'd done an audition for Crawford's. Do you remember Hector Crawford back in the day had the big stables of all the television shows, Homicide, Division 4, Matlock, all of those... And they used to come up a couple of times a year and audition in Sydney and just cattle calls. Mm. And I did one. Well, I was just toward the end of NIDA. I did one and I was cast in a matlock in black and white. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it was a wonderful role and that started me off. And while I was down there, they said, look, we're doing a show called The Box. I don't know. You probably weren't born then, Simon. But I was in The Box and The Box was when I became... Pretty well known. <laughs> well, I want to talk a lot more about that in just oh, a moment, but we oh, have to really? have some more music. <laughs> we have to have some more music first. And this is, oh, this is, you, what are you again. doing to us now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, this was the um, first time I was really in love. And this was what we played. 
Wonderful Roberta Flack, the first time ever I saw your face. So much in that song, isn't there, Belinda? Beautiful. It is beautiful. I mean, I must have worn out the record then. (laughs) But I, 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 I just cried every time I heard it. I'm... I'm quite vulnerable to music. Does that, does that mean that that first time you fell in love, it didn't go so well? Does it oh, make no, you it, it probably did. But, you know, early love is always so passionate oh, yes. and so emotional. And, you know, I'm not saying it, it doesn't last, but it's, it is that sort of deeply fraught, deeply felt well, you've never experienced it before, I guess. So, no, yes. no, and it was, it was, and certainly for me, I would just go in, you know, boots and all <laughs> to, to relationships. But yes. Well, I want to know more about Crawfords and so on because it's a different time in the industry, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a production line, and I, and I don't mean that in a negative way per se. I just mean that they're churning out so much stuff, and you were part of so mm. much of it. Well. I was lucky in yeah. those days. When we're talking, uh, what are we talking, the early 70s, yeah. from about 73, I think I started to work for Crawford's. And the thing is, Hector Crawford was such a lovely, avuncular figure and he ran this studio down there in Melbourne. Yeah. I used to fly down and fly back. Oh, you fly didn't down. just base? base I was never based in Melbourne. They oh. flew me down on Monday morning and flew me back on Friday Good night grief. for about 12 years. Because the thing about Crawford's, was that he had the monopoly of shows, certainly, in those days. And when you'd done a show, for example, I did my first Matlock with, by the way, Ray Ma, who plays oh, yes. uh, my husband in Home and Away, on and off. <laughs> I'm mostly <laughs> From off. From time to time. From <laughs> off, it seems. But he, he was in that very first television show that I did in Matlock, and yeah. it actually was his first ever Television Job show. as well. Yeah. Oh. So I went from Matlock and then then Hector would call you up at the end of the, the run and say, look, we're doing Skyways. How do, how do you feel about doing Skyways? And I, oh, great. You know, so that was another year of work. And then would you like to do Carson's Law? Oh, would you like to do Sullivan's uh, for a year? Would mm. you like to? So you have to remember that the pot of actors was much smaller yes. then there was quite a lot of work, television work happening, Australian content, and fewer actors. So 
you know, the thing is when the momentum was there when you were working, you just kept working. The thing about acting, of course, is if you're out of view for too long, people forget you, sadly. Yeah. So when you're back in view, that's when your work gets more momentum and it's that's for the most of your career really mm. like that. Did you find you were kind of being, for want of a better word, typecast or at least playing the same sorts of roles in all these programs or were, were they all kind of different? Uh, look, I have to confess, for example, The Box, which is when people started to know me, I was very much considered a mm, sex symbol um, uh, and that was, mm, you know, that was okay. I was working, which mm. is all any actor <laughs> really wants to do, work. And I was young and silly and I thought, yay, this is great. But then, of course, you do start to get typecast. Um, but the roles, I suppose, uh, I was given were very self-determining women, oh, quite, yeah. quite strong women mm. and then quite sometimes quite nasty mm. women. You weren't just the ditzy dolly birds. So I mm. shifted out of the ditzy mm. dolly bird into the, into the sort of sons and daughters, that, that kind of character. But after a while, I think just television and the and the pace of working on television, you start to develop little tricks and it's a little bit not challenging, if you know what I mean. So I, at, at a certain point, said to my agent, I don't want to do television anymore. I want to do theatre. I want to do theatre. Right. I was a bit up myself, I have to say. I remember saying to Hector Crawford, I want to do theatre now. I thought, God, how could I ever have said that? To it's not that. Crawford? It's not that word legitimate that you had in your mind. Well, no, it's a little bit. It's that sort of wanky thing of an actor saying, "I want to do real art," you know. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous, you know. Yeah. And in retrospect, it's serious. How I want to be a serious actor. <laughs> yes. So I said to my agent, "I want to do theatre," and he said, "Are you sure?" Is I said, "Yes, I just want to do that at the moment." Is this already after Sons and Daughters and stuff, or was it before then? It was sort of. Uh, after that, really. Yeah. And so we started to get into that and then the parts started to change. But what really changed the types of roles that I was doing was uh, a play that I produced myself at Griffin Theatre. In those days, the Stables, um, Stable Mates it was called. Um, I produced uh, Love Child with my daughter who had just graduated from NIDA. Wow. And it was a two-hander. I played her mother and she was my um, my biological daughter as it turns out she wasn't but it's it was a beautiful play and I produced it and Jennifer Hagen directed it mm. and that was a very different role and the reason I did it was that it was so different to anything else and from then on all the roles that I was being offered changed quite mm. dramatically. Mm. Just going back to the yeah. sort of earlier television stuff, though, if I may, I mean, you become a, a figure, a celebrity, you, you know, you, you're well mm. known because, as you said, you, you're appearing in all these programs. And I just need to touch on a program that was really part of my childhood, and that's Blankety Blanks with Grant <laughs> Kennedy because you appeared on that a little bit. Was that, that, that must have been as much fun as it looked. Yes and no. Really? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it was a funny period, that period. I wasn't really, although it may have looked like it, I was never really a, a personality actor. Yeah. I was never that uh, – I mean, I loved Graham Kennedy and all of those, but Nolene Brown and all those people. They were really good at that. I wasn't particularly good you at that. You didn't feel you quite fit in? No, because I'm not a personality actor. I, I, I like – I like to put on a funny hat and be someone else. Right. That would describe how I think of myself in the business. Put on a funny hat and be someone else. I didn't want to be, look at Belinda Giblin, that personality. Isn't I she a scream? Yeah. Isn't she a scream? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm quite serious. Uh -huh. And as one actor once said to me, you're so intense, Belinda. Oh, it's quite frightening. <laughs> so, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. A lot of actors... A lot of actors are, and they're good at it. But yeah. I'm, I'm not that good at that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Our next piece of music now is, uh, is an interesting one, Mark Armand. What's this one? Mark Armand. You know, not everyone knows Mark Armand. No, I, I wasn't a, familiar with him. They're a 60s, 70s jazz pop group, but very sultry, breathy, lovely music. And I had my two children around the time that I started playing. So that's another period of my life. Mm. Very husky, very breathy. I must have played this track again. You know, wore a, 
only by this stage we were on CDs. <laughs> but um, this reminds me of my my kids having my children. I've got two kids, Nicholas and Romy, and this was what I played to them, probably to get them to sleep. Other people's rooms are they cheery? Are they bright? Other people's lives do they always turn out right? Do they always lock the door? Wishing they had someone to open it for. Just a little room of their own, and all the music. Just for the times that I get to slip away and lose myself in other people's rooms. Other people's rooms, are they fancy or just plain? Other people's dreams, are they really just the same? Everyone needs a corner of their own. Everyone needs a place to come home. Just a little room of their own. And all the music that I play is just for the times that I get to slip away and lose myself in other people. Mark Armand with Other People's Rooms, the choice of my guest in conversation today, actress Belinda Giblin. Well, Belinda, I have to ask, I'm afraid, a little bit more about Sons and Daughters. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Now, I believe you hadn't seen it when you were cast in it, is that right? Oh, did I was say that? that? A, you might, well, I found it in I must interview. have had a couple it, of drinks. <laughs> it could have been apocryphal. Some of the times these things are just part of the legend. <laughs> right. No, well, I, I, I don't watch a lot of stuff. No. I don't. Well, but I was also thinking that kind of thing. When you are on that treadmill of, of working all the time, when do you get the time to watch Well, I didn't things? work all the time. I, I uh, did have okay. years and on and off mm. out of work. Let's not say I was constantly in work because really no actor in this country works perpetually. No, but None at least it has them. the appearance of uh, yeah, so going I've, from I've project had a good project. run. Yeah. I've had a pretty good run. I hadn't watched a lot of it. They don't call it a soap. It was no. called a, an Australian drama and fair enough. But I did start watching it when they were offering me the role. And Rowena was a friend of mine and, and I thought she was brilliant in the show and I wasn't happy to come in and take over someone else's role. It's, you know, it's a bit like being an understudy and I would like to have created a whole new role. But I did agree. But you sort of did. I did. We we turned her into Alison Carr. Yes. (laughs) Instead of Pat the Rat. Yes. Because it's not like she left and then you came on the next week uh, as as her. No, I came back after for surgery and rehab. Yes. You had the plastic surgery. As, as, as a two inches shorter and with, with a slightly different face. They didn't put you in high, extra high heels no, to make no, up for the... No, but we had, you know, the eyes. We had similar yeah. eyes and yeah. I think that's why they thought I might be a good kind of replacement, yeah. I suppose. And I did enjoy it. Look, I had two years on that show and it was... It was tremendous yeah. fun. But, but I mean, coming back as Pat the Rat, they brought that character back as you because I was, as I was reading, it was because the ratings were falling and the future of the show was in doubt at the time. Yes, so, yes. So did apparently. that worry you at all that you were getting onto what might have been a sinking ship at the time? I honestly never thought that. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I never thought that. But then interestingly, the, the funny part of it was that Rowena came back Yes. Uh, in the second year as her twin sister, <laughs> as my twin sister. <laughs> well, her, her, her twin sister you her. Her. <laughs> but And that, that was fun. That was really good fun. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I want to sort of ask more about too. I mean, I'm not wanting to belittle it at all, but there is a certain ludicrousness to oh, all that no, sort of thing. Oh, that's not belittling it. That's indeed what it was. <laughs> but but, but did, is that what it felt like from the inside? That it was all a bit silly? You know, the fun of it is it was larger than life. Yeah. It was slightly insane. And that was the era, though. With that was the era. Who shot when, JR and all that. Yes, yeah. when we could do that stuff, the broad shoulder pads and the big <laughs> hair. And the acting style 
really was very, not very different, but it was a little bit heightened. Uh, heightened, yes, mm. heightened reality. Mm. That's what it was. And there's more. Well, there's not more fun, but there is fun in that. I look back at it now because I've got, of course, um, I've got tapes of it all, and I go, "Oh my God, Belinda, what were you thinking of?" It's, it's sort of, I, I can't believe you got away with with that type of acting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, because there's lots of crash zooms into cliffhangers. Yes, and and. Last shots with looking up into the sky with mouth open type <laughs> shots, and you think, "Oh, please, that's terrible." But is it the size? I mean, is it partly because you know they are making, they were making it for a different size screen? You know, now our televisions are like cinemas. Yes. Whereas back in the day, you're watching on a, like a I don't know what was a forty centimeter yeah small yes. little screen. So well, maybe, did everything maybe. have to be bigger to to I'd, get I it don't through? Know. I think or people just wanted. I, no, fun. I think escapism was yes. very much in order. Um, at that time, I think escapist television, Dynasty Dallas, all of that stuff, the bold and the beautiful days of our lives, it was all da <laughs> stuff, you know, and people wanted that. Yeah. And then we, we got a bit serious. <laughs> <laughs> so when Rowena Wallace does come back as as your own twin <laughs> sister, or as her own twin yes. sister, you were, you know, that doesn't make you feel, oh, they're bringing Rowena back now. Oh, no. no. We laughed like drains. We <laughs> laughed and laughed and laughed through the whole of that time she was there. Honestly, it was, <laughs> it was fun. In fact, I laughed for two years during that show. It was, it was glorious to get the straight fun. With those sorts of plots, though, um, and when you're on when you're on a program like that for a year, two years, and there's a certain similarity in the dialogue, the rhythm of the dialogue. Mm. Do you sort of get lost? And it's like, oh my god, what day is it today? Yes. Or <laughs> <laughs> yes. well, you say, oh, didn't I just say that line? You know. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of kind of repetition, but then people do have repetition in their yeah, in their true. language behaviour. So that is true. You know, and, and you know, I hate to say it, but we would change lines. That's something I I don't wouldn't do that much anymore because mm. I have much I honour the writer much more now than I certainly did back then, and well, they didn't mind it. Yeah, so was that that was not so much the era; it was the it was the genre, if I can put it that yes, way. Yes, and we'd say, "Oh, I don't think I'd say that. I'd, yeah. I'd say this," mm. and I think, "Oh, those poor writers, what they must have thought of us actors going." But but that I, I wrote that line. That's my line. I that was a good line, and a lot of the time we would change the lines because we weren't good enough to do the lines as written. Oh, I don't know. You, you know, couldn't remember them. We couldn't remember them. Yeah. So it became a bit of an improvisation. So what about the part where, you know, you are playing a villain? Yes. That in a, itself a, a, is a joy. Yes, way. yes. Mm. And you you go to the supermarket and... Uh, yeah, recognition. Rec- recognition. Because um, there's pluses and minuses, yeah. right? No, any actor who says they don't like that is lying. I, I absolutely believe that. That was great. I loved all that yeah. kind of adulation. Oh, oh, you're Belinda Giblin. You're in that. I still get it a little bit now, but not quite so much. You're Martha in... Home and away. Yeah. Where are you? Where are you? You're not on the show anymore. <laughs> I'm hearing that a lot lately. But I do remember someone once said in a supermarket, she bashed into my trolley and she said, I know yous. Yous <laughs> used to be in that Sons and Daughters, didn't yous? <laughs> I'm sorry. But I, and I went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but mostly lovely people and, mm. I'm, and I was – Pleasant to them. I, I liked it. I thought it was yeah. charming that they said it and I was charming back to them. So I, I don't believe in people hiding themselves away or being rude. So I. But you've always been approached in with adoration. And I've love always been. Not, well, then, certainly then. Now yeah. I'm completely. No, but I'm talking about in the, in being on television, you know, in such a big soap is. is no, a I just deal. look like a bag lady at Woolworths oh. now, you know. <laughs> 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 just walk past me. <laughs> well, our next uh, piece of music goes to, to Broadway. What's this one? <laughs> this one is Jersey Boys. I've seen Jersey Boys in uh, America, in the States, in, in, in New York, and in London, and in Sydney. So it just goes to show how much I absolutely love and adore this musical because Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, this is my, I grew up with this. That's the other thing. A lot of these pieces that I love are quite dated, but nostalgia. I went in London, this is my big memory of it, with my my eldest brother and my sister-in-law and we 
came out after the show and walked down to Trafalgar Square. It was on the West End and skipped around the fountain in Trafalgar yeah. Square singing Sherry, Sherry baby, because we'd, we'd all grown up. You know, he was my bro and we were singing what we'd grown up with. And we shrieked with sherry around the Trafalgar fountain. I didn't get arrested. <laughs> didn't get arrested. It was pretty late. <laughs> <laughs> sherry, sherry baby, sherry, sherry baby, sherry, sherry baby, baby, sherry baby, sherry. Can you come out tonight? Come, come, come out tonight. Sherry baby, sherry baby, sherry. Can you come out tonight? Why don't you come out tonight? Jersey Boys original Broadway cast with Sherry, the choice of my guest in conversation today, actress Belinda Giblin. Well, Belinda, moving back into that theatre work that uh, you you were keen to uh, leave uh, television for <laughs> and get to, it, tell me about uh, the different uh, headspace that you need to get into when you're doing a theatrical production compared to television. Is it was it a bit of a shock to move back? No, not a sh- not a shock, but it's a very different um, it's a very different rehearsal time it's a very different process the glory of working in theatre is that you get time to rehearse and work on things which a time that you don't get quite as much on television you do get to rehearse mm. on television but it's it's very very fast television you do we were doing half our episodes in one week so yeah. you know it's, it's are, really are you just doing the rehearsal on the set before you sometimes before not always filmed. but sometimes all oh, right so sometimes but in theater you have the luxury of rehearsal mm. and it's a bit like a kindergarten playground oh I'll do this how about I do this yeah oh can I offer this and so you you have all sorts of experiments and offers that you can make and it's that for me, that is much more enjoyable and you have time to delve into character and I, I don't know, I just I, I find that a really exciting time. And then, of course, in front of an audience and your audience will change your performance every night. Night to night. Yeah. Night to night um, because they're a kind of another person. Mm. Um, it's not just you on the stage, it's you and the audience and... That's kind of thrilling for me. It's a it's a mixture of thrill and terror, real terror, because I still get nervous, um, and I suppose any actor, even after being how long have I been acting? Fifty years, I still get nervous. Mm. I might not get nervous for quite so long. I might be absolutely fine and shrieking with laughter in the dressing room. Then we hear the five minute call, and that adrenaline, <laughs> without you wanting it to, pumps in. And you go, oh, my God, here I go. My heart rate goes. That adrenaline is exciting but yeah. it's also terrifying. But, you you know, you go into your deep breathing and all of that sort of stuff and then you're on. It's scary. It's it's really scary. And I've done a few one-woman shows. I did uh, Blonde Poison uh, at the Old Fitz, which then moved to the Opera House and then went to the Lawler uh, down in Melbourne. And that was scarier because I had no one else to rely on Mm. if I forgot lines or fortunately I didn't. There's something, I I don't know, I I say it is a a mix of thrill and terror Mm. Um, and I don't, sometimes I go, why am I doing this? Why do I do this to myself? So that was, (laughs) that that was Blonde Poison um, and then I did Happy Days. Uh, um, Which is another Long well, monologue, which is uh, Samuel Beckett's. I yeah. did that uh, last year or the, I think the year before now. Gosh, time goes when you're getting old. Well, uh, it's the COVID period, don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> it was during, well, it was before COVID. Uh. And then 
COVID happened and then we came back and did it because we had we were booked out. We yeah. did a second coming of it. But that was, again, the same sense of thrill and terror and, and a real memory, uh, ta- you know, test. Mm. So when you do a play like that, like for suddenly last summer and you, and you just yeah. finished, for instance, do you retain, having, you know, performed it eight times a week for however long, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, do you retain it? I learn really quickly and I, le- I forget as quickly. <laughs> um, so suddenly last summer's gone. Suddenly, well... Not quite, yeah. not quite, because I spent a lot of time learning that. Tennessee Williams is words, mm. beautiful, glorious, wonderful words. And I had to spend a couple of months before I went to rehearsal working on that because there's a lot of monologuing that happens in suddenly last summer. So a lot of that is really deeply embedded in the fleshy tablets of my memory. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what happens is when you start a new play, all those words get pushed back mm. into your back part of your brain and you prioritise what you need. And then when you start to think, oh, I wonder if I could remember suddenly last summer, then you go, oh, mm. I, oh I don't. <laughs> or you can remember some of it. Yeah. But, but, um, but for instance, doing Happy Days coming back after COVID to, to then bring it back, how, how long did it take it you to bring it back It wasn't that long. I, I'd okay. gone back into Home and Away because right. I was doing Home and Away at the same time. So right. I was working in the daytime <sighs> and then I would go to the theatre at night. It wasn't such a big – it was like two or three weeks mm. and and it was well, – I had to go over it, of course. We had to re-rehearse. Mm. But a lot of it was. But still, a lot of it was still, still retained. They yeah. got me just at the right time before it had gone out the window <laughs> completely. But it does completely go. Yeah. Eventually. I often have heard about uh, roles for women. Like there are lots of roles for women when you're very young and when you're older. But there's that kind of middle period where there's a bit of a drought in roles. Did you did you find that the case? Yes, I did. Yeah. No, I I've had periods of up to a year, a year and a half. Mm without any work in, in theatre or television. I do love television, by the way. I don't want people to think I no, don't no. ever want to work on television. But I would have, yes, long droughts without work. I might during that time do some voiceover work, but, oh, no, God, no. There was, there were times all through my <clears throat> that 50 years that I was – I thought I would never work again. I can't act. People have seen through me – you know, or, or, you know, it'd be very depressing, particularly financially. And my husband is also in the business. He's a, he's a set designer in film. Uh, and when we were both out of work, we had a mortgage and it was <laughs> terrifying. Mm. My daughter's an actor, but my son said, there's no way I'm going to be an actor. I've grown up with <laughs> parents who have never had any money or always we're always, yeah. you know, struggling. So what was it, do you think, that got you through those difficult periods and of self-doubt and so on and, you know, kept you in the business? Oh, a sense of humour and the fact that I'm also, I never give up mm. uh, and I'm an eternal optimist. I never sunk into depression. I never, oh, well, what I did was I have another career and I still have that other career if I need it. Uh, I'm a corporate trainer. Really? Yeah, yes. I've been corporate training for nearly 20 years. So I worked for the NIDA corporate arm and still do. I worked for the Maura Fay corporate uh, arm and uh, I was in boardrooms for years so training training what? executives in communication skills. In communication skills, right. Conflict yeah. resolution, um, right. um, negotiation skills. We, we rolled out a whole series of programs. And I do two-day, you know, eight hours a day, two-day programs. I would get up and train them and then we do role play. Yeah. And actors are, very, are pretty good at doing communication skills because yes. we use the skills we use as actors. But it's also the negotiation you're talking about, like, you know, you know the rehearsal process, like, uh, you know, doing the weekend now, you're effectively negotiating. Yeah, with all yes. No, it, it's something mm. that for us is is quite natural because it's part of our, our skill set. But for a lot of execs, it isn't part of their skill set. They're no. very good. They sit siloed in their – they're very, very good at their work. Mm. But in terms of uh, maybe communication skills or dealing with – people and other departments that I'm not saying this goes for all of them but they do you know they and they were fabulous in these in these workshops they they loved it they really embraced it mm. I'm, I mean they're still doing it it's not it's not in the past and undoubtedly I will go back to doing some yes. 
corporate training. But I'm glad that I had that as a backup. Awesome. Well, our next piece of music now is from the world of opera. What's this one, Belinda? This is the Merry Widow Waltz, another it was such a romantic piece, and I don't know whether you've got the André Aurier. Oh, yes. But, oh, you have. <laughs> Isn't it funny people turn their nose up at André Aurier? They do a little bit, but I don't think I, I don't think that's fair. Look, the man is a romantic, exactly. just like I am. Oh, damn it, I don't care. But his version um, with a violin is mm. of, of the Merry Widow Waltz is my favourite, and it has significance because in Happy Days... I actually, we, I hold up a music box and I play on the music box the Merry Widow Walls and then at the end of the play, I sing. Da, 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 da. I sing a whole verse of the song and it's tragic. Yes. <laughs> so I thought, well, let's do this one. Unmistakable André Rieu playing the violin and leading the Johann Strauss Orchestra for the waltz from Layard's Merry Widow. The choice of my guest in conversation today, Belinda Giblin. So, Belinda, before we finish up, I'd be curious to know your thoughts about how the industry has changed in your time working. Oh, that's a question that I find extremely, <laughs> extremely difficult. I have to say I am really in awe of new young actors coming up, they all seem... I think out of necessity there is a lot of new creation, new work, new writing. Uh, one, one of the biggest things that happened has happened, of course, certainly in the last decade, is cultural diversity. We're seeing a lot of cultural diversity in writing, um, First Nations writing, you know, all around the globe. We're, we're starting to see a great diversity of performance uh, and casting. Mm. But, you know, ageism has also been a big problem. Mm. And and as you say, you know, actors, as women particularly, as they get older, where are the parts for older women? Well, I think that's changing. Mm. Um, I'm seeing a, a huge new sort of number of parts for older women, good parts for older women, everywhere on television and in the theatre and in film. Mm. So I think there's a kind of redress that's happening and I think it's right that it's happening. Mm. So looking back, uh, if you went back to the young woman who was maybe at Sydney University or NIDA or maybe just before she's about to get on that plane to go down and film that episode of Matlock, is there something you'd want her to know? Ah, yes, wanted to know, but something which I've done. I think, yeah. is keep your sense of humour. Don't take it too seriously. Keep your sense of humour. Don't stop working. Don't give up. Self-determination is all. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think I would tell myself what I've actually been doing. Great. Well, Belinda, it's been absolutely awesome having you here today. But before I let you go, you do have one more piece of music to introduce, and that's Mozart. Mozart's Lacrimosa. And why have I chosen this? Because this year and the end of last year and this year, I had the great privilege of working with the great Michael Sheen in Amadeus. Of course. At the Opera House. 
and what a fabulous joy that was. Um, it was a, an absolute spectacle in the concert hall of the Opera House yes. and uh, a performance of Amadeus with Michael Sheen playing Salieri. And I was one of the Venticelli and we had... So the Greek chorus kind it, of thing. It was yeah. a Greek chorus but yeah. we were in the show all the way through, the two of us. There were yeah. two, Venticelli. But the joy of the piece, the whole joy of doing that play was that we had a 28-piece orchestra, the Metropolitan Orchestra, Sydney Metropolitan Orchestra, on stage and opera singers, all young, about eight young opera singers. And the Lacrimosa was played backstage at the very end when Mozart dies and we actors were all backstage, or some of us, and we would stand inside the orchestra, the guys in the orchestra and the opera singers, and we were just surrounded by this beautiful lacrimosa and it took my breath away. Honestly, I would, of course, sob again. It's, it's so evocative. So I'm a sook. Let's face it, Simon. A very good absolute sook. sook. <laughs> well, sook or not, it's been an absolute privilege speaking with you today. Belinda Giblin, thank you so much. Thank you, Simon. Actress Belinda Giblin. She's about to appear in The Weekend, based on the novel by Charlotte Wood. It's playing at Belvoir from the 5th of August to the 3rd of September. Get along to belvoir.com.au for more information. That's the program for today. You can find past editions of In Conversation at 2mbsfinemusicsydney.com slash inconversation or find us in your podcast app. Just search 2MBS In Conversation. If you follow the program that way, you can listen in at a time most convenient to you. I'm Simon Moore, thanking you for your company on 2MBS Fine Music Sydney and around Australia on the Community Radio Network. <laughs>